there are two very different, almost contradictory explanations of what it means when it says that Yaakov remained alone just before he wrestled with Esau's angel. The paradox of these two concepts is going to take us into a conversation about the paradox of Yutis Kislev, or more specifically, what Hasidus Chabad brought to the world. The harmonizing of completely contradicting realities, the soul and the body, the world and godliness, and so on. If in there are various explanations over the words that Yaakov remained alone and then had the wrestling match with the angel. We're going to look at two of them, or mayhem. There's a Gemara which Rashi quotes, paraphrased, that Yaakov Avinu remained on the other side of the Yaboik River to pick up small jugs or containers. And the Gemara tells us this is actually alluded to in the word Levadoi. Well, sorry, the Gemara doesn't tell us, the Tosfos tells us, and others also say the same thing. Don't just simply read the Pasuk as he remained there alone, but Le Kadoi, he remained there for his Kad, for his little jug. So that seems to imply that Yaakov Avinu remained behind for something kind of insignificant. On the other hand, in Medrash state, the Medrash Brejish Rabbah says, Just like it says in the prophecies about Moshiach, that David will be exalted in a unique and alone manner, alone. The same, Yaakov is uniquely alone, and it's obviously a great accolade to Yaakov to be compared to Hashem in that sense. So the Rebbe has often told us, all the various con- commentaries on a single Pasuk, and in this case, on the same word, so they have, there has to be a link, a thematic link between all of these <coughs> different commentaries. So if that's the case, start from Fashtain, because these two commentaries, the Gemara and the Medrash, actually seem to contradict each other. We have to understand what's the link between the interpretation of the Gemara and that of the Medrash. Because on analysis, they actually appear to be completely opposite interpretations. How so? The Gemara assesses that Yaakov is staying behind for minor things, small trivialities, little little packages. Things of very low value. They actually see it in the word. That Levadoi talks about the kad, the little jug that Yaakov Avinu is looking for. Whereas the Medrash takes a totally opposite perspective. The Medrash says that Yaakov remaining alone is an incredible accolade for Yaakov, the highest of the highs. It is akin to the uniqueness and oneness of Hashem. And specifically, not just the oneness of Hashem, but as it will be manifest and revealed, as will be in the time of Mashiach, as the Pasuk continues. So how can you have two interpretations of the same Pasuk on polar opposite ends of the spectrum? Is Yaakov fixated on tiny things, or is Yaakov riding at the level of godliness? Now we're going to link that to Yutas Kisla, because as the Shalot teaches us, every Yom Tev is linked to the parish of the weeks. In 
And Shalah tells us that every occasion, special occasion on the Jewish calendar, is alluded to in the parashiyas that surround that occasion. So we can understand the Yom Tov of Yutis Kisav, and he uses the word Yom Tov um, as the, <coughs> as the Alter Rebbe himself coined Yutis Kisav as Moyet. Typically, Yutas Kislev is in the week, like it is the other episode. So, the message and the, the, the essence of Yutas Kislev is hinted at in the parashas. In fact, in the part we've just looked at. But in order to get to that link, let's ask the grand question, why now? Why did Hasidus come to fruition now? So we'll understand with introducing that question. The fact that Chassidus was only revealed in the most recent generations, not in earlier generations with the people of a far higher spiritual caliber, there are two possible reasons that are given for this. One is, in other words, the lowliness of the Jewish people. Because there's so much doubled and redoubled darkness, specifically in recent generations. Especially the generation that's living through the transition into Moshiach. To be able to stand up and survive this darkness, we need additional light. Which will overcome that darkness. Why do we need Hasidus? Because we're in a really difficult and lowly place. One explanation. The other explanation, based on something that Arizal teaches, and the principle is also recorded in Halacha, in Mogan Avram and Alter Rebbe Of course, what's relevant to us is the Alter Rebbe because he's Baal Hagi'ulav Asimcha. Yutis Kisav is his celebration of his freedom. Le halacha, they both quote it not as a philosophical concept, but rather as an halachic concept. That we're supposed to taste some of the delicacies of Shabbos on Erev Shabbos. And that's not only physical delicacies, delicacies and it's not only Shabbos which comes once a week, but that we're supposed to taste Mashiach. You take the whole of the span of history and you fit it into the 6,000 years corresponding to six days of creation. As in the last letter is Fabius Mashiach. So when you get to the end of that period, that is the Erev Shabbos from Yom Shekulay Shabbos. That's the Erev Shabbos of Moshiach, which is the ultimate Shabbos. We start to get a taste of <coughs> a little glimmer of the experience of godliness that we could expect when Mashiach comes. Two polar opposite explanations. We need Hasidus because we're in such a bad way. We get Hasidus because we're so close to Moshiach. So there you have the two extremes. Similar to the two extremes of the Gemara and the Medrash interpreting what it means that Yaakov was alone. Because like the Erstas Barakum Tois, the first explanation of why we have Chasidus now is as the Gidu Oyachidus in Deris Vachrenim is Mitzad Zeir Nidrikait. Why is Chasidus revealed now? Because we are Pachim Ketanim. We're at a very lowly, restricted state of spirituality, and we need the help. As the Gidu, right? So the Dem Gedal Hachesher in Oti Deris Fatzichlu Masad the Gidu from the Eren Hanale from Pnimis Atera. Pnimis Atera is revealed to counteract the extreme darkness of our times. 
Um, but when you go with the second explanation, it's the exact opposite. Why is now the time of the revelation of Hasidus? Because it's an exceptional time. Because we're past midday of the grand Erev Shabbos. So we're already getting a glimpse and a foretaste of the experience of Mashiach. Now, of course, we have to ask ourselves the question, which one is it? And the answer is going to be, it's a blend of the two because that's what Hasidus is all about as expressed in the Baal Shem Tov's, uh, in Mashiach's message to the Baal Shem Tov about what Hasidus is supposed to achieve. The Berendem. We understand that Yutas Kisif took us over the threshold of a whole new and fundamental experience of spreading the Baal Shem Tov's wellsprings to the furthest reaches. To reach Chassidus, to get Chassidus to reach every single Jew, even those who are outside of the pale of Judaism. And the Rebbe has told us numerous times that the words are precise, that your wellsprings should spread to the furthest places. The Chiddush over here is that the message is the spring has to go all the way to the outside. Not that the spring has to irrigate water that flows to the outside. The spring has to go to the outside. That is a paradox. Mayon and Chutzah is a paradox like the paradox of the two explanations of why Chassidus is now and like the paradox of the two reasons why Yaakov was alone. It's not good enough for the springs to be where the springs belong and they then have a power to irrigate a far distance. The Chiddush is that the springs have to be in the furthest, most disconnected places. Not only must they be there, those springs must spread in that place. In other words, they have to, so to speak, assert themselves. The spring has to assert itself in this hostile environment of distance. To the point that the mayones, that the springs fill every millimeter of area previously called chutzah. So it becomes completely inculcated completely filled with mayonnaise. So everything that exists starts in the realm of Torah. So where are we going to see the first impact of your Where will we start the journey of spreading the deepest secrets of Torah to the furthest Jews? The first part of the journey will actually be the expression and revelation of the secrets, the primus the esoteric Judas in what was previously known as Nigla, only the revealed aspects of Torah, like Halacha or the stories of Chumash, etc. And it should be such a successful transition that in all the ordinary, the Gemara, the Chumash, the Halacha, you should see that it is one with the teachings of Chassidus that relate to those particular Gemaras, Chumash, Halacha, etc. Because even before the Alter Rebbe, there were people who were giants in both the revealed and esoteric parts of the Torah. But, Uposhut, 
As they limit Nisa the Torah of Giton, as they limit for Nigla the Torah is given by Fenacher. There's no question that because they delved into the esoteric parts of Judaism, it shifted their experience and understanding of learning Nigla, which is true. From this vegan, but is a spazegiven and an oifem from Svei bazundere chalokim galia unsosim. It was still very clearly compartmentalized in their experience of Torah that that is the revealed part of Torah and that is the secret part of Torah. And yes, the one feeds the other. It has an impact. It's like the spring becoming a river and irrigating the valley but it's not one and the same and that's what the Alter Rebbe revolutionized the Alter Rebbe brought a complete harmony of the two realms of Torah in the way that the Baal Shem Tov is a giant in Halacha of the Alter Rebbe and in Chesidus obviously <coughs> But it's not as two separate entities. It's a harmonizing of the entire Torah into a hybrid of Nigla and Chassidus. That is the revolution of Chassidus Chabad. That's as it affects Torah. Now let's have a look how it affects us as Jewish people. Because, as we know, the Zohar tells us that the Jewish people are linked indelibly to the Torah. He, Chayeinu, as the Torah tells us, the Torah is our life. It's not just that we're two things tethered or linked or plugged into each other. Torah is our life. And actually, the Yidden and Torah are one entity, not just linked to each other. So as we've just described, there's the concept of Mayonos and Chutza merging in the Nigla and the Nister of Torah. The same kind of impact will happen to us and to our experience as Jews and as the Neshamas of Jews. Because what Hasidus revolutionized in the human experience, the Jewish experience is that blend of Mayonos and Chutza internally in our experience, meaning the blending and harmonizing of the revealed and deeper hidden part of our own Neshama, which often don't operate simultaneously. Let's talk about this practically. What is the hidden part of the Neshama? Emuna. And even before Hasidus came along, Emuna did influence the conscious experience of Judaism. Even though Emuna is, by definition, beyond the rational mind, still, the fact is that Emuna did influence, and people who had like every Jew has, great faith in Hashem, it influenced their behavior and their response to difficult times, etc. That the person would intellectually appreciate differently and feel differently because of their emunah. That's even before Hasidus comes on the scene. However, but emunah was an element, a resource that the Jewish person had outside of the normal day-to-day experience, outside of the rational mind, that occasionally was able to impact the day-to-day experience and the rational mind and shift a person. What the Alter Rebbe did is radical. The Alter Rebbe effected a process whereby Emunah, which is completely beyond the rational mind, and acceptance of Hashem's authority, which is also beyond the rational mind, should become something that completely seeps through every fiber of the human's experience. Meaning, which means, I don't have to have a special experience either of great inspiration or of great challenge and then emuna comes to the fore and then it directs my behavior 
behavior. It's in day-to-day behavior that I could have the full impact of the super-rational emuna within myself. In other words, in seichel gufas osich oplegen und der Herren werden die Nyonim schon amayla min ha seichel, and this is the big innovation of Chassidus Chabad, that even in the conscious rational processing of the human mind, we could process and understand things that are fundamentally super rational. We could have a havona and appreciation of our neshama, of emuna, and even of ebishter. So there we've got two paradoxical harmonies. The Nigla and Nister merging into a singular Torah, the hidden and revealed part of the Neshama merging into a single Jew with a conscious experience of both harmonized. Now that is, on the individual level, we see a similar thing happen on the communal level. So as we've just described how it is in the personal level, the blending of the inner wellspring of our neshama with the outer conscious experience of our neshama, the same process affects the entire community because all Yidin together actually form a single structure or a single anatomy, spiritual anatomy. So the Roshay Alpha Yisrael, like the Rebbe describes in Tanya, the great spiritual leaders of the Jewish people are like the brain of this, this overarching anatomy. They are the wellspring of the nation. So what used to happen before there was the consciousness and awareness of Chassidus, those great Eyes and, eyes and brains of the nation, they spent most of their time in seclusion. As the Hayomim says, right? That they were elent, they were alone, they were separate from the people. Of course, they had a direct impact and influence on the Jewish nation in two primary ways. Either because they taught people, so obviously people who learn from them are impacted by them, so it's not like they were totally cut off from the nation. Or because people observed and learned from them, my Sarab, this is how you're supposed to behave because you observe these great individuals and you emulate their behavior. But on a day-to-day basis, their experience of life was severed from the experience of the average Jewish person because they were in their uh, serene environment, in their holy environment, and they didn't engage with people <coughs> in their world. It's just that because of their leadership and because of their insight and because of their teachings and because of their example, they had an effect, they had an impact on people and actually quite a profound impact. What changes radically once you have Hasidus, which is your foot in Now you have great leaders, Rebbeim, who don't live in their closed environment. They engage directly and in a personal way with the world that is out there. And like Moshe Rabbeinu, who went to see the suffering and the poverty of the Yidin in Mitzrayim, the Rebbeim go out and see the mind poverty, because the Gemara tells us that the greatest poverty is intellectual, lack of, of knowledge and understanding and insight, and they engage with it. And then to address those people struggling with their spirituality in language that they could appreciate and they could actually transform because of. Nochmer. 
And because the principle is that the spring is supposed to touch every millimeter of the entire outdoors, the distant areas, that indicates that the Rebbeim also now not only engaged with the spiritual well-being of those disconnected, distant Eden, but their material well-being as well. As we know, the Baal Shem Tov was very engaged first in helping people materially and subsequently in teaching them chassidus. So we're now seeing this harmony, this blend of totally different realities in three areas. Torah, Nigla and Nister, the Neshama, Emuna and Seichel and the communal experience Tzadikim and the people Torah is the Neshama from the Welt the truth is it goes beyond that because Torah is the soul of the whole world because we know very well the Medrash tells us that the world was created for the purpose of Torah Torah is the purpose it's the essence it's the soul of the whole world is der fun Fashtandik which helps us to understand as we baldit as kislev of uvgiton achidesh in Torah because Yutas Kislev introduced a whole innovative experience of Torah, it naturally had a similar impact of a similar innovation in the world itself. What does that mean? The, the Rebbe is going to unpack this concept in quite a lot of detail. But the concept is, the world as we experience it is a place that conceals godliness. Therefore, through the experience of the world, you can only ever experience a very limited type of godliness. You can only experience that which is contained in the name of Lekim, the name that represents nature. Now, what that means is if you focus on the world, you try and understand the, the, the wonders of science, biology, the uh, astronomy, etc. Then we can have an experience similar to what Avram Avinu had as a young child, that there must be a force that controls it all. There is an, a, a higher being, a higher authority. But even with all of our exploration and understanding and appreciation of the magnificence and the sophistication of our world, it will never lead us to understanding and appreciating Yudke Vavke Havaya, which is totally beyond the entire structure of the world. You'll say, but Hashem does poke Hashem Havaya into our world occasionally. Because they are miracles and they shatter the realities of the world and allow us a glimpse of Havaya. But we can all appreciate that those experiences which are miraculous are not experiences of this world. To the contrary. Miracles break the system of the world. So the system of the world doesn't take us to an awareness of Havaya. It only allows us an awareness of um, filtered godliness, Elikim. Chsidus changes that. Chsidus had uvgiton, as in welt gufa so sein de gile lekos of sehecher fun welt. Chsidus opened a portal that in our world, experiencing ordinary life, we would have access to an appreciation of and to see godliness that is beyond the world. Was der Fahrer ist Chsidus mevor ich was war von Seichel Enoshi. That's why Chesidus explains things in a way that the human mind can comprehend, borrowing using illustrations from physical experiences, not just because those illustrations help us to understand godly concepts, but to show us that within the reality of this world is godliness. 
Wie Welt ist mir Juchot mit Nöder Lekivas ist Hecher von Welt. Because Chassidah shows us <coughs> how the, the world, as we experience it, is completely one with a godliness that is beyond the world. Weyer Schleimer, to unpack this concept further, we're going to look at something that Dalter Rebbe wrote in his letter about what Yutus Kislev is. We're going to look at the specific language that the Alter Rebbe used, and we're going to use that language to appreciate that Chassidus takes us to the third level of awareness of Hashem, where typically we were only able to access prior to this two levels of awareness of Hashem. Schleimer, as David is Mavur, was the Alter Rebbe, schreibt in seinem brief, the famous letter of the Alter Rebbe, as the Gula von Yutus Kislev is given in an Öfen von, how was the redemption, the emancipation of the Alter Rebbe on Yutus Kislev? It was in a way of Hifri Hashem, that the Ebesha did something surprising, mind-blowing. Vehigdil Lassis Boris, and something that Hashem increased or, or, grew, or grew, so to speak, made great in the world. What does that mean, Hifri and Higdil? And of course, the paradox that Hifri and Higdel both seem to indicate something which is really massive, and Lasis Ba'aretz makes it sound quite grounded, which is again our paradox, the theme of what we're learning in the Sicha. So, in order to get there, let's appreciate that there are two experiences we could have in daily life in terms of our consciousness of Hashem. The way that Debisha runs the world, is generally using two modes. Alef Anog Al Piteva. The most common is that Ebishter follows the laws of nature that he created. When you're watching nature, you're not automatically conscious of the fact that this is divine energy and divine uh, uh, vitality. You see nature. It happens every day. The sun rises, the sun sets, there's rain in the rainy season, uh, animals reproduce, etc. And therefore, was our experience of Hashem through observing nature only allows us connection to Shem Elikim because Shem Elikim is the force behind nature. But then within the natural experience, Hashem drops us clues that He's running the show. There are times where you can actually see this was Ashkocha Pratis. The Abishtim made this happen. Which means when something happens in our lives that is undeniably divine providence, then we have to recognize that the Abishtim is running the show. This is now a consciousness of something beyond the natural order. So that is powered by Shem Havaya. We do get in the course of normal life opportunities to experience Shem Havaya. It's called blatant Hashkacha Pratis. We'll talk about blatant Hashkacha Pratis in just a moment. So there are, again, two ways that that could play out. This awareness that Hashem is running the show. Sometimes it's just a minor indicator that Hashem's running the show. Something happens in the world. It is natural, but the way it panned out, you could see that Abishur was looking after me. That's the famous parking spot story. Right? Looking for the parking spot, I'll give a whole lot of tzedakah. Oh, there's the parking spot. It's a natural process, but you could see that Abishur is looking after you. Then occasionally, sometimes the Ebishter magnifies the experience of Hashkacha Pratis. When the way things play out is actually unnatural, supernatural. Like a Chazal coined the phrase that the great thing that a person has to be mature enough to learn is Maisa understanding the workings of the higher realms. So that's what Godel Higdil means. It means to magnify the awareness of Hashem in a particular situation. So what that means is, 
that there is the so-called smaller awareness of Hashem or more obvious, greater awareness of Hashem, but we can appreciate that those are relative on a scale. Smaller, greater is one scale. If we're talking about Hashem magnifying or exaggerating a particular experience, that is relative to a smaller version of the same experience. It's the same type of experience, just a greater version of the experience. Sometimes it's even massively greater, but it's not on a different scale. It's not in a different paradigm. Therefore, there's a third possibility, where we are mind blown by what Debesh has done, because Debesh has done something completely out of the realm of nature. Now, the Rebbe is about to give us examples of these three realities by comparing it to three types of nisim. So the fact that there are three different ways that shame havaya, that an experience of superworldly godliness could be experienced in this world, that is what we could link to three types of miracles. Aleph, nisim, sometimes miracles happen disguised as nature. Sometimes you cannot even tell that it was a miracle. Vidanes from Purim, the mask of Purim, the miracle doesn't appear as a miracle. Mordechai happened to save the king's life. Esther happens to be the queen. Even though the truth, obviously, of the Purim story is that it's a massive miracle and therefore it is powered by Shem Avaya, which is beyond the entire structure of creation. And we can even notice that because look at the incredible Ashkocha Protis. Esther is the king. What if this had happened under different circumstances? So we recognize it. But it's only a small measure of divine intervention because you could excuse circumstances. We were just lucky to have the right circumstances. Then you get You get clear miracles. It's a clear miracle, but it still required certain natural steps in order for the miracle to fully manifest. A good example of that would be Yehoshua conquering the city of Yericho. Starts off as a supernatural miracle, right? After the walls of Yericho come crashing down. That's a miracle which is completely supernatural. There is nothing about the collapse of the walls of Yericho that you could attribute to a natural phenomenon. But then... Then when Yeshua and his army enter Yerichoi, they actually have to fight and they actually have to take the, the, the booty, the resources. So there's a miracle happening through natural means. An even clearer example of this would be the battle against the people of Midian in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, where it says, that Moshe was told to appoint an army who then staged a battle against Midian. And what was the miracle? It's a regular natural battle with a supernatural outcome, not one fatality on the Jewish side. A war without fatalities is completely unnatural. The war is natural. The battle, the actual physical engagement with the enemy is natural. The fact that no one dies, there's the miracle in the nature. There's another example to illustrate the same point. Story with the Alter Rebbe. A person who wasn't well came to the Alter Rebbe once. All the other doctors had given up any hope of any kind of medical resolution of his problem. So the Alter Rebbe prescribed for him half a Shmurimatsa and water. And it healed him. 
Now, the story seems to be self-contradictory. Right? Eating, fine, that's something that normally helps to sustain and strengthen the body. And a person's not well, you know, they should eat well, get the right nutrition, and hopefully will help them. But the particular food prescribed over here, the so-called medication, according to the laws of nature, there is no natural link between Shmur and water and healing somebody, especially somebody who the doctors had written off. Great example of exactly what we're describing. The actual healing is a miracle. It's Shem Havaya. It's outside of the realm of nature. But to facilitate the miracle, you actually needed physical, natural steps to take in order to manifest the miracle. That's Higdil. The Ebeshte is exaggerating the consciousness of Havaya in this particular story. And then you get Gimel Nisim Vasoban Afilin Kenachiz in Teva, miracles that have absolutely no natural basis whatsoever. Like when the king of Ashur came to surround and attack Chizkiyo, and his attitude <coughs> was completely supernatural. I'm going to sleep. They will take care of the battle. I don't even have to lift a sword. That's a completely supernatural, undeniable Ahavaya intervention. That's what Alter Rebbe is referring to when he says in the letter, There's two kinds of miracles happening over here, two experiences of miracles happening over here. The completely supernatural, and Higdil, that which required natural steps as well. Here the Alter Rebbe is telling us not only about the fact that he got out of prison, but much more importantly, that Chesidus is now manifested into the world, not just that we should be generally conscious of Havaya, of a, an experience of godliness which is completely otherworldly. Not just the smaller consciousness, the less, lesser consciousness of godliness, which you could experience sometimes through the Hashkacha Pratis of nature. And not only is Hasidus now going to expand our horizons and allow us to appreciate Havaya in a way of Higdil, which is where miracles happen, still anchored within the natural order. The Altarebbe says, what Chassidus is going to do is take us to the mind-blowing awareness of Havayev, which is completely beyond any of the rules and constraints of nature. Yet, at the same time that Chassidus is going to introduce us to Shem Havayev at the highest, most revealed, most developed experience of godliness, completely outside of the entire structure of creation, is the Alter Rebbe the same lysis boritz? But the Alter Rebbe says, and that's all going to play out. Boritz on earth. Vatikavonu taches moteres achsidus is. He has your paradox again. What's the goal of chsidus? Tzarap trogen dominion von hifli havaya to be able to bring down that concept of absolute mind blowing godliness. Demere lekiva satin kachaychas teteva. God, the energy which is not in any way related to nature. In Oretz Gufa, and it should be manifest in the world. As we see in the Alter Rebbe's example, <coughs> that even though he could have done a whole string of miracles and either avoided the imprisonment altogether or changed a whole lot of things, like when he wanted to make Kiddush Levana or stop traveling on Shabbos, each time the Alter Rebbe brought it back, Ba'aretz, it should happen through natural means, even though it was a completely supernatural experience. Now, how do you do this? How do you bring about the harmony of these completely opposing forces? The only way is to get not only higher, but to the core of everything. 
We know that what allows us to combine the revealed and esoteric parts of Torah, which is in spite of the fact that the Torah, which is MS, uh, compartmentalized them into two different elements. And the Torah names the one hidden, which implies that it's not revealed. So the Torah is telling us they don't belong together. The way the Al-Tarebbe creates the possibility of blending together the revealed and <coughs> secret parts of Torah is because what the Al-Tarebbe introduces, Hasidus, is not just more mysticism. Hasidus is not just more esoteric Judaism. It is the essence of Torah. The only reason that you would distinguish between the revealed and the hidden parts of Torah would be if you're dealing with the hispashtus, so to speak, the details or <coughs> the, the spread part of Torah. Now, spread doesn't work really well in English, but the point meaning you moved away from the essence and now you're getting into the details. When you get into the details, each series of details is different to the next. Sosim has its rules. Galia has its rules. They cannot play together. But once you engage with the essence of Torah, is the essence of Torah. There are no distinctions. There are no rules. There are no definitions. The essence of Torah is the essence of Sosim and of Galia the Torah. The essence of the Torah is the essence of the revealed, as it is the essence of the esoteric part of Torah. Which allows them to come together. Maybe a good marshal for this would be if you look at the human body, obviously each organ and each limb has a very distinct, specific purpose with its own definition, how it works, what its rules are. But when you get to the level of the DNA of a person, it's the same DNA in the person's eye as it is in their finger, as it is in their heart, as it is in their brain. Which means, theoretically, that if we could get hold of that DNA, we could, with that DNA, regenerate, perhaps, an injured part of the body. Because it's not that you need eye DNA. You need the DNA of the body from whichever part you get it. And theoretically, using that, you could... You could okay, this is not a class on, on uh, AI or futuristic biology. But just to illustrate the point, that when you're at the essence of something, there's no longer a distinction between, oh, the essence of your finger is different to the essence of your eye. It's one essence. The essence of chsidus is not different to the essence of gemara. It's one essence. When you reveal the essence, you no longer see those distinctions that block the two parts of Torah from operating in harmony. And we have an example in halacha as well. We know that Judaism does have a hierarchy of mitzvahs. Some of them are really serious, like Kores things, and some of them are minor. And nevertheless, nevertheless, there is a clear halacha which says, If a person denies the fact that the Torah was God-given, Even a single line or a single letter, as the Rambam tells us. If a person claims that that one word, a completely unrelated pasuk that doesn't seem to have any holiness, if we suggest for a second that it is not divine and that Moshe made it up, that's a rejection of the entire Torah. And the Rambam also says, likewise, if a person denies the expansion of Torah into Torah Shabbat, <coughs> it's also a denial, not of Torah Shabbat, but of all of Torah. Regardless of which word of the Torah it is, or which commentary of the Torah it is, 
Why? Because it's the same essence, and if you reject the essence, you've rejected the whole thing. So, Torah, it's the essence of Torah that allows us to bring together the two contrasting experiences of Torah. Same thing with the Jews. We already mentioned that Yutus Kisav allowed us to bring together the super rational part of our Neshama with the rational part of our experience. How so? Because because we're talking over here about revealing Hasidus, which is the essence of Torah, that activates the essence of the Jews' Neshama, which we call Bechines Yechida. So in the same way as the essence of Torah will bring together the various previously distinct components of Torah, the essence of the Neshama will bring together the previously distinct elements of the Neshama. The same thing translates into how we serve the Ebishter. The fact that we could have Emunah and Kabbalah soul, both of which are super rational positions, and yet they should seep into and completely influence our lived conscious experience of Judaism. Because once you reveal the essence of the Neshama, it is the essence of the super rational Neshama, it's the essence of the rational Neshama, it's the essence of the intellect, it's the essence of emotions, it's the essence of action, it's the essence of speech. Everything comes together as one single focus. So the same principle will apply to the Jewish community. The fact that Chassidus allowed the greatest people in the community to be one with the simplest people in the community is because Chassidus reveals the core soul of the entire Jewish people besides the core soul of each individual. Um, that reveals the truth. The truth is we are absolutely one at the very core of our beings. And that also impacts the world, the harmonizing of the world. As long as we're dealing with revealed, defined dimensions of godliness and the creation of the world, undefined godliness can, cannot enter into the defined world. <laughs> because <coughs> defined godliness needs to be able to radiate, needs to be able to shine. So something which has to shine and radiate cannot be accommodated in a place which is by definition concealment. And besides that it would obviously blind and destroy oilam. When you're looking from the perspective of Hashem's essence, essence is not about shining, radiating, teaching, giving, uh, energizing. The essence of Hashem is the essence of all existence that incorporates everything. You can have this absolute, the ultimate paradox of things which are conscious of their own reality and their own identity and at the same time conscious of the fact that they're completely one with Hashem and it's no contradiction. I don't have to disappear to be one with Hashem. Hashem is the essence of my being. 
the uftu fun yafutsa mayin sech chutsa as etzem mayin zon isachet very mitin chutsa. So now this principle that we have illustrated of yah the incredible revolution of chesidus, which is to allow <coughs> the the core, the essence, the mayin, the spring, to be in every element of the chutsa of the revealed world. Where do you see it most clearly experienced? When the Mayan goes to the most unlikely, most undeserving place. The fact that the Mayan could affect and transform even something so dark, so distant, an area, a reality that is not designed for mayonos. It's not designed for godliness. Revealed godliness. It says, It is because that what we're doing over here is we're not just sharing the mayonos, we're revealing the essence of the mayonos. Which means we're exposing over here the essence of Hashem, which is the truest existence, which therefore is the core of all existence. The essence of existence is the essence of the existence of every single thing. So therefore it doesn't matter that this particular area or experience or concept or entity is not designed for holiness. It doesn't matter. Here we're talking about the essence of existence, which is also the essence of that entity's existence and therefore can be completely manifest and expressed in that essence. Now we can circle back to what we said that there are two apparently contradictory reasons given why Chassidus was revealed now. The one explanation being because it's so dark we need the help. And The other which is saying we're at such an amazing time we're already starting to taste the world to come. The Gilei von Etzim Pnimius Hatera Drikt sich aus in dem, was es kann bei Leichten euch dem Chöschech von Döder so erkennen, bis Mahabech sein euch ot dem Chöschech loer. Because the essence of Torah, that's what Chassidus is, the essence of Torah is so powerful because it's the essence, the taste of the future, therefore it can illuminate the darkest time, Ikwesi de Meshicha. Now it makes sense why the foretaste of the greatest godly revelation ever should occur at the time of the greatest darkness ever. The doubled and redoubled darkness of living just before Mashiach comes. Because as we said, when do you know that you've touched the essence when it can affect the least likely target, the least likely entity? <coughs> so that's when you have the That's when you now you're starting to taste what Mashiach is all about. The conversion of absolute darkness to light. Illuminate the darkest darkness that exists. In fact, you don't illuminate the darkness, you actually influence the darkness to shine, as the Pasuk says. 
That brings us back to our parsha and the difference between the Gemara and the Medrash is actually telling us the same message with regard to Yaakov. On the one hand, Aleph Lech Kadoi, that is going for what appears to be such small minor elements of this world. And on the other hand, this is an expression of absolute revelation of godliness. Why? Because that's how it works. When you engage in the small, limited, dark areas of this world, the least significant of the areas of the world to refine. Ultimate darkness. Now that is going to express this is the essence of godliness. Levadoi means there's nothing else besides the Abisher. In other words, even those things that seem so distant, so disconnected, so dark, are not separate from Abishter. That the reality that these things exist does not deny the absolute reality that Hashem is the ultimate existence. Because as the Rebbe discusses quite a number of times, ultimately when you're looking through the lens of Hashem's essence, you discover that the essence of the conscious Yesh that believes itself to exist independently is actually a reflection of the fact that in essence it's Yesh Amiti, the Ebeshter who does and is the only entity that exists independently. And that revelation is something we'll experience in its fullest expression in the time of Moshiach, which should happen, Teikef Umiyad Mamish.